0: All right. I will say good morning. Good morning. Let us begin a beautiful, beautiful daft ahead of us today. So I'll say, let's begin. So first of all, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Kislev. Josh and Becca for dedicating all the sherman Drushos this month. <laughs> <laughs> to thank Sammy and Malka Esterson for dedicating all the sherman Drushos this month in memory of their parents. <laughs> Hinda Vas Ephraim, and in the zikus of the continued health and longevity of Mr. Morton Esterson, Admeve Es Mshanim Tovos, to thank the Pepper family for dedicating Avishurim this month in memory of the yard site of Yosef Pepper, Yosef David Zichron Levracha Ben Yaakov, to thank. Our week of learning sponsor, Steve Goloskov, in honor of the wedding of his daughter Rivi last night, Ali Bogart. And by the way, Steve is here this morning. This might be a first. This might be a daf Yomi first. Steve, you're speaking at the next Siyomash I'm just telling you, right? This is uh, Mamish, absolutely. A, a, a beautiful, beautiful chasana last night and a beautiful chasana in Kala. And here is Hashem, Steve to Dore Doros, so a beautiful Yiddish anachos. Amen. To thank the Pepper family for dedicating the uh, the Week of Learning in the merit of a Afua for Yaakov Ben Rochel, and to thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Week of Learning in the Zchus of a for Shulamis Bas Susha. We thank all of our sponsors for their incredible generosity, and I say, let us begin. So today's daf <laughs> is Lamid Ches 38. 38, so we have a lot to do today. But some really great Kimaro. We are picking up on Lame with base 37B. Okay, we have actually have a lot to do here also. So, let's say, so we, are, we are picking up, let's pick up 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 lines up from the bottom. It'd be easier to count down from the top, but that's a little depressing. Now let's say So let's go. 18 lines up from the bottom. So let's say, remember again, so we were into a whole discussion yesterday Regarding, regarding the concept of Ma'ani b'chinam, b'chinam, the inability to get paid for teaching Torah. So if you can't get paid for teaching Torah, what is a Rebbe paid for? So we're a right? The machlokas, right, machlokas between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan. So Rav says, essentially, again, what you get with Rebbe gets paid for is watching the kids, right? Babysitting. Babysitting. I was say, we don't mean babysitting in a Pajardi fashion. We mean, like babysitting. he has his responsibility to watch over the kids while he's teaching them so he gets paid for that. And Rabbi Okren said peace of Tamin, trap, teaching them trap. Now the idea of paying the Rebbe for, for teaching them trap would highlight to us that trap is not the Urasa. Because if trap if Trap was the Oraisa, then how could you get paid for it? Because it would fall under the umbrella of ma'ani b'chilam, just like Moshe Bino taught us for free, so too the Rebbe has to teach us for free as well. The Gemara then quoted a, an, an opposing opinion. And the Gemara said, Kasavar, pisuk tamim daraysa. Another opinion says, no, the trap is daraysa. Trap is daraysa. So in other words, so who holds that a Rebbe gets paid for watching the kids, why doesn't he agree that the Rabbi gets paid for teaching trap? Because Rav holds that piece of Tamim Chup is Daraisa. Is D'araisa, So here we go. Say Dhammar Da'amr. Rabbi Ika bar Avik Abrav Khanala Am Rav. My da'amr. What does the pasuk mean when it says Rabbi so saying, Gummar over here is quoting the pasuk, Quoting the pasuk from Nikanya Va'ik Vaik Vaik Vaikru Bh Sefer Bithorasim Furosh the so that's the Pasek. So we'll say ultimately, again, in this particular Pasek, Nechemyah is reading the Torah before Kalali. So on the Pasek it says as follows. So the Gemara Tarashin Zeh. What does it mean they read in the book? The Eker zemikra. That refers to Chumash. Mefurash. It was explained. Ze Targum. So we'll say Targum. Normally refers, ultimately, again, to Targum Onkulos. In Aramaic translation, good. Vesum Vesum Seichel. Elu Hapsukim. So, we'll see, we're going to see, it's actually interesting. The Ran points out over here, well, I'm going to read it outside just because of time. But the Ran understands, This refers we'll say, to how you break up the Psukim. Because, as we're going to see again, obviously the Torah doesn't have punctuation. So, sometimes it's not exactly clear how to go ahead and break up the Psukim. We'll actually see an example of where there was a makloke between Babel and Eretz Yisrael about how to break up a particular Pasuk. So this, V'som Seichel, is how to break up the P'sukim. V'yavimu b'mikra, so they will understand the P'sukim. What does that refer to? Ze Pisuk Tamim. This ultimately again refers to Trap. To Trap. others say, elah HaMesoros. This refers ultimately again to the Mesor. So we're going to see, the Soros means, certain traditions which were handed down again from Moshe Rabbeinu about certain pesukim in the Torah. So let's analyze. I'm Rabbi Yitzchak. So I'll we'll say the point that the Gemara is making is there is an opinion that holds that the trap itself is a Da'araisa. So the Gemara says I'm Rabbi Yitzchak mikra sofrim, the itur sofrim. So I'll we'll say what we call mikra Duran The Ran says mikra is hakriya shemuslanar shlem shnigru sofrim. How to read certain words? that's called call mikra sofrim, means certain extra words or certain extra letters that do not need to be in the Pasek, but are there. The carion, V'lo Ksivan, what we call the Kri and Exiv, right? There are certain things that are read, I'm that are read a certain way, but not written that way. O Ksivan V'lo karion, or certain things that are written a certain way, but not read that way. All of those things, Halacha L'Moshe Misinai. So what I'll say, all of these different things we call the Kri and Exiv, <coughs> Something's read differently than it's, than it's written, extra words that don't seem to be necessary for the meaning of the Pasad. Ultimately, again, Mikrosophrim, Itrosophrim, these are all Halacha, LaMoshe, So the Gemara just gives some examples as well. So what's an example of Mikrosophrim? So we'll say, what's an example about how we have a tradition how to read something? So it's actually interesting. So Eretz, or Aretz, Shomaim Mitzrayim. So say if you look, the way these words are read, the rand points out is, it sounds like there's an aleph in it, the way it's pronounced, right? The ah sound. But ultimately, again, there's no aleph in it, obviously, but it's read as if there is. Itor sofrim. So we'll say what does itor sofrim mean? So this refers to extra words that aren't necessary for the actual meaning of the text. So itor sofrim. So achar ta'avoru, achar teylech, achar teoseh. So we'll in all of these cases, the word achar, is really unnecessary. Kad Musarim, Ahanognim, Tzidkoschal, Kahar Rekel. So we'll say all examples of Psukim which have words, but the words, there are extra words there that are not essential for the meaning of the text. Karyan Veluk Sivan. What's in will say something that is read, but is not written in the text. So the Gemara says, Pras right? Debelech So again, just over here quoting Psukim. This, this passage over here is quoting, is quoting Shmuel Beis. Shabbos say, so this is an example. Of the word pras, the word pras isn't read in the pasik, yet it's not written in the Elokim. Another example I will say again of a word that's read, but ultimately not written in the pasik. So we'll say again, we're not going to go into each of these examples, but these are all examples of things that are read. The word is read. In other words, we have in the Surah that a word is part of a Pasuk and a word is read part of a Pasuk, yet it's not written in the Pasuk itself. Okay, the Kasvan, so we'll say what are examples of words that are written but are not read. So a word that is written in the Torah, written, in the, I should say, in the Pasuk, in Tanakh, but ultimately not read. What are examples of this? No, <speaking> di <in Hebrew> So I'm going to say the one example is, again, he's quoting over here, the Pasuk from Malachim Beis. Ultimately, again, there's a word, no, <Hebrew> that's written in the Pasuk, but it's not read. It's not read. So Zos, top of Lamed Zos, da mitzvah, yad zhruh tajruhcha, chameishtipa'as negev, Again, Sigmar is just giving examples of what I was saying. These are examples of things that ultimately, again, are written but not read. So, I was saying, the point that the Gemara is making over here all of these things, all of these things, right? Some things that are written and not read. Some things that are read but are not written. How to break up, psukim, All of these things are a halocha lemoshe misinai. All of this was handed down the most something very interesting I'm Vakha Ba'ada they both say Ilamin Chesim with Aleph third line down Amr Vakha Ba'ada bar Ba'ada B'ma Rava in Eretz Yisrael Pasukin L'hadin Pesukah L'Tlasin Pesukim Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael they broke up the following Pasuk and the three Pesukim I both say this is very interesting we have this Pasuk as one Pasuk I'll just read it to you Shabbos Yisrael, I will say one you. Shabbos Yisrael, so the Pasuk you know, the most quoting over here is as follows the Pasuk is Fayumra Yomra al Hashem says to Moshe, I'm coming to you in the thickness of the, or in the cover of the cloud. So that the nation will hear, or the nation will know that I spoke with you, or the nation will listen when I spoke with you. They will believe in you, Moshe is my prophet. And Moshe told over the words of Hashem to the people. say, we have this, right, in our Mesorah, we have this as one long Pasek. They were just quoting, quoting, quoting that in Eretz Yisrael, this, the Mesorah in Bavel, our Mesorah was that we had this as one long pasuk in Eretz Yisrael. The Mesorah they had was this was broken up into three different psukim. So again, the, all the Gemara is pointing up, on was, as Rose says, is as much as we just said before, that Pisuk, that, that ultimately had the breaking up of psukim is Halokha LeMoshem Sinai. It's interesting that it could be that by certain psukim there was a dispute as to what exactly was the Allah Ha'ala Moshe Sinai. So say, which is interesting because normally, if it's Allah Ha'ala Moshe that means that what? That what? There's no dispute. So it's just interesting. Again, I don't know if the... Uh, seems to say maybe this was the only Pasek with which there was a Machlokas. But again, just to point out, even in of time, there was a different practicing Bible in Eretz Yisrael. Good. Boisei, so now we're going to come into some beautiful, beautiful I got it to Gemara. Beautiful, beautiful. I meant to put it out on the chat last night. Okay, beautiful Gemara. So look and listen to this. So I'm going to be Chana B'Achanino. Lo he'sh mipsulasan shaluchos. And will say, how did Moshe Abinu make his money? Because remember, we'll say, what's the tie over here? The tain over here. Um, but the tying over here is that, remember, again, the Pasek said, Moshe taught Klal Yisrael b'chinom, right? Ma'ani bechinam Avata b'chino, right? Moshe Rabbeinu did not get a salary, so to speak, from Klal Yisrael. So where did he make his money? Where did he make his money? Like, now, the truth is, it's not really such a shayla Now, I just want to point out something. Remember, where did Klal Yisrael have money from? Where, where do we have money from, right? Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim right? So remember, again, Klal Yisrael took the spoils of Egypt. The Chazal tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu, when Rabbi was going ahead and collecting the spoils of Egypt, what was Moshe Rabbeinu doing? He was Atmos Yosef, right? He was going ahead and collecting the remains of Yosef. So Moshe Rabbeinu, where did he have money from? Now again, in the desert, it's not really a big deal. You don't need currency in the desert. You have money, you have everything you need. But nevertheless, again, I will say, as we're going to see why Moshe ne- needed money in just a moment. Why did he need money? So, the Moshe shaluchos. So, we listen to this. Moshe Rabbeinu was told to go ahead and get tablets. So, the tablets obviously, again, were hewn. Now, in the first set of tablets, Chalash did it himself. Right? In the second set of tablets, Moshe Rabbeinu had to hew the stones himself. The Gemara says Moshe Rabbeinu got to keep the shavings of the tablets. Now, you'll say to yourself, okay, tablets are stone. Right? So, how does that help Moshe Avinu? So, I'll say, is something amazing. If you look at the rush, look at the rush. Rush is on the right hand column. When the rush says, well, actually, let's read it first. I'm sorry, in the Gemara. So, Lohesh Moshe Elam P'sulasen, Shaluchos. Moshe I Avinu mean, got to keep the shavings of the Luchos Shneemar Psalecha Shne Luchos Avonen Literally, again, this is by the second Luchos. Hew out for yourself, right? Carve out two stone tablets. P'sulah shel the shavings are yours. Rabbah say, how does that help Moshe to have stone shavings? Look at the rush. This is incredible. The rush writes, right hand margin of Vigimara, about eight lines in P'sal l'cha v'shel son hanu. So the rush says the tablets were sapphire. The tablets were sapphire. So Rabbah say, because the tablets were sapphire, Moshe Rabbeinu got to keep all of the sapphire shavings. And that's how ultimately, again, he became wealthy. He became wealthy. So I will say, isn't that absolutely beautiful? So I will say, I'll just tell you two quick things. It's not, not that we have time to go into any of this. I say, why Moshe Rabinu had to be wealthy? We're going to see in just a moment. In other words, why, in other words obviously, he's, other words, he, he's rich now. He's rich. He's, he's got all the sapphire shavings. Why that had to be that way? We'll talk about this. I say, but I was very struck last night by this Lush of... That Moshe Rabbeinu lohesh, Moshe Rabbeinu becomes becomes wealthy mipsulasan <laughs> lasan mipsulasan Yisrael mipso lasan from the psoles. Now, pso, now again, psoles often means like what, like the the, the, yeah, the like the, the leftovers, right, and the stuff that's not so great. So I will say, something very interesting. So I saw I saw an incredible idea by the sefer quoted by the sefer Minchas Machvas, and I will say, listen to how beautiful this is. Moshe Rabbeinu. Was his his hallmark, right? His greatest accomplishment was his singular dedication to Klal Singular dedication to Klal Yisrael. But I will say, but the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu was also his un, his unwillingness to ever give up on any Jew, no matter how terrible they were, right? No matter how much they transgressed, right? The Miraculum come along. Moshe Rabbeinu advocates for us. We built the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu advocates for us. Says them in Chazmach was something so beautiful. Do you know Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest accomplishment? His greatest accomplishment? How did he become rich? I will say, what's the p'sulas and shaluchos? That refers to the Jews who are Psolas. Right? To the Jews who just totally, totally take wrong turns in life and do the most terrible and heinous things. Moshe Rabbeinu never even gave up on those individuals. Moshe Rabbeinu gave up on no one. You built a golden calf, which remember again, Chazal compared to a bride committing adultery underneath her chuppah. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, right? So Moshe Rabbeinu will advocate for you. You go ahead and you're the Miraglim, Moshe Rabbeinu will advocate for you. Lo Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest enrichment, his greatest life accomplishment was a Psulos and Shal. Even those Jews... Who are p'sulas and shaluchos, the psoles, the leftovers, the, the nebachs, the terrible stuff, right? The shavings, they, they're not even part of the luchos, they're the shavings of the luchos. They set, them set aside, they set themselves aside. Moshe never gave up on those Jews. That's Moshe Abinu's greatest accomplishment. There's more to see on that, but we'll go there. So, to you know, Lo Torah el Moshe Torah was, on, listen to this Torah was originally only given to Moshe and his offspring. Shinemar, Ksavlucha, just like Moshe benin got to keep the shavings, so too, Torah really belonged to Moshe. See, so this is incredible. In the original plan, Torah was only going to be given to Moshe and his descendants. That's it. Moshe, your descendants. You'll have Torah, and it's yours. What happened? So, say, Moshe Benut was generous, and he decided to share his treasure with Kalal Yisrael. Of Omer and about Moshe Rabbeinu, it is said, He who is generous will be blessed. So I will say, so beautiful, so beautiful. So Torah was originally given to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu decides to share it with Klali. So I will say, by the way, the two ideas are very much interlinked. The same way that Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest wealth was Psulos and Shaluchos, those Jews who everyone else gave up with, for, gave up on. Moshe Rabbeinu's entire life was dedicated to the Klal. So Hashem gives him this beautiful gift of Torah. He says, I can't keep this for myself. I have to share this with my nation. Absolutely beautiful. Maser Rav Chista argues. He says, what do you mean Torah is only given to Moshe? It doesn't make any sense. So Maser Rav Chista, V'osit Hashem Ba'Ishahil HaLamit HaShem, Pasch says, that, Moshe says, And Hashem commanded me at this time to teach you Torah, which sounds like again Torah was given to all of Israel, not just to Moshe. So no, no the way to read it is, Right, so no, no, the way to read the posit is, Hashem commanded me to keep Torah, meaning Hashem gave Torah to me, and I, Moshe Abinu says, of my own volition, decided to share that great treasure with you. I, the posit says, Moshe Abinu says, I have taught you laws and statutes as Hashem commanded me. Which sounds like Hashem gave Torah to all of Israel. The way to read it is, O siva to me, really the way to read it is, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem commanded me about Torah. Hashem gave me Torah, V'ani lachem, and I went along and shared it with you. So we'll say, I, the Pasik says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, write, write for yourselves this Shira. Hazinu, Hazinu. So you see that Torah was given to Israel. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 Hashira So ultimately, again, it's only the shira. It's only the shira that was given to Claudi Israel. right? However, what's, here's the problem. ma li-ashira So we'll say, here's the problem. The shira, right, ha is a form of testimony. We'll say, what's the testimony? The testimony is you were given Torah, if you keep Torah good, and if you don't keep Torah, here are the series of ramifications and repercussions. So you see that Torah was given to Klav Yisrael, I will say this is absolutely fascinating. What does it mean Pilpul Ba'almah? I will say, if you look at Rashi, on the right-hand side, Rashi says Pilpula Ba'almah, about four lines into the short lines, lahavin davar davar, li. so I will say, incredible. See, Torah was given to Klav Yisrael. So what was uniquely given to Moshe? Rabbi put what we call pilpul. So what we'll call analysis. Right? Analysis. The tools of analysis, of Torah analysis, were originally just given to Moshe. See, Rabbi is very interesting. In other words, the way that Kaddish originally kind of saw Torah for us was how? He was going to give us Torah, and Rabbi say, what will we do? Right? It would be a series of do's and don'ts. Right? And again, of course, still with understanding, but not really with accompanying analysis. Analysis would be done by Moshe, and I guess Moshe Rabbeinu's descendants, and we would really not have that pattern. And both like, like what we do, Gimara. This, this, wouldn't, this wouldn't be part. So Moshe Rabbeinu does something amazing, and he shares with us the tools of analysis. Shares us tools of analysis, almost as if the Rebbe understood Moshe Rabbeinu. Because the first Rebbe understood That's what? That if you want Jews to go ahead and love their Torah, so you have to give them the tools of analysis that can work at it. Because if I can't work at it, right, if I can't analyze, if I can't turn it over, if I can't try to understand, I'm not kone it. I don't acquire it in the same way. So Torah was given to all of Klal Yisrael, Pilpul, analysis, was originally only given to Moshe, and what? And then Moshe shared analysis with us. And Jehovah also teaches you something amazing. You do not need analysis to fall in love with Torah. Right, I guess contrary to the to the to the to the idea to the of every yeshiva bacha, right? You don't need analysis. In fact, sometimes one can make the argument that the purest form of Torah is Torah without analysis. So will say, by the way, that's the beauty of chassidus. The beauty of chassidus, right? I, was, I, was, I have a friend of mine. I have a friend of mine who um, I, I got him into kedusha slavery Rebbe Yitzchak He called me last day of Shabbos and he said, Shmuel, I said, I read this piece of the Rebbe. I have no idea. <coughs> what it's talking about. (laughs) I said, I know. Isn't it great? (laughs) Right? I I, I said, you don't have... Who said you have to know what it's talking about? See, that's the mistake. That's the mistake. Who says you have to understand the words of Rabbi Yitzchak for it to penetrate your neshama? I said, how do you... Maybe you're avoda. It's just read it. It's just read it. You see, the difference we think is that Torah only has an impact on us If my mind understands it, if my mind understands Adaletz Torah, who says, who says there's a power sometimes to just reading words of a tzaddik, even if you have absolutely no idea what he's talking about, because your mind doesn't understand it, but your neshama understands every single word. I will tell you that sometimes I find it such an interesting thing. When I want like a little bit of a birth, you take out a Likud in Muharan, Rabbi Nachman, and Rabbi Nachman's son is very hard to understand. You go out and you read a few lines, and I'm telling you, you just feel different. I know, do I know what the Rabbi said? Yeah, pick up something there, pick up something there. The I will say sometimes the highest realm of Torah is not the Torah you learn with your mind. It's the Torah you learn with your heart. Again, and not advocating for not understanding what we learn. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we, we, we think that Torah is all about the mind. And we forget the power that it has on the neshama. Because Baruch Hu didn't give us Kilpal. because Baruch Hu didn't give us the tools of analysis. That's not what he gave us. He gave that to Moshe. Someone has to have that. But in Kishmara's original plan, that wasn't for all of us. Me and you, we were supposed to just learn Torah, just learn Torah. get a beautiful Kishmara, just see the words, let it penetrate your soul. your soul. Moshe was given pilpul. Moshe decides that he has to share it with us. Rabbi said, "There's an incredible avodah in the Torah, and sometimes not using your mind, but using your heart." In any anyway, event, the Gemara goes on. Amar Rabbi I will say, "Incredible Gemara." Al Gibor VaAshir VeChacham only rests his his presence, his Shrina, on someone who is strong, rich. And and smart. So we'll say. So let's analyze this. So th- this this ties back and humble. I'm sorry. Thank you and humble. So we'll say. So this uh, I forgot that one. will <laughs> say. So so ultimately again, this goes back to what we said before. Because remember, the unanswered question is the Gemara tells me Moshe Rabbeinu was wealthy from the shavings of the luchos. What doesn't the Gemara tell me? Why does Moshe Rabbeinu have to be wealthy? So now I understand it. Now I understand it. The Shina only rests its presence on someone who is strong. Rich, wise, and and, and humble. So I'll we'll say the, the idea over here is what does it mean to Shina? So this on one hand could be talking about Nivua, It could also be just talking about the concept of Shina resting itself on someone is also the term that Chazal use for leadership. For leadership. What are the qualities one needs in order to be a leader? So I'll we'll say if you go through them, it's actually quite amazing. So Gibar, Gibar makes sense. Gibar doesn't have to mean physical prowess. Keyboard could also mean spiritual or emotional fortitude. You have to be willing to take stands. You have to be willing to take unpopular positions. You have to be willing to stand up for what's right. And again, re- brace yourself for the tidal wave of negativity that is going to come in its aftermath. Right? Ashir, wealth. Wealth is associated with every single major position of Jewish leadership. And it makes perfect sense, right? The king has to be wealthy. The Kohen Gadol has to be wealthy. It's very helpful for leaders to be wealthy. Why? Because once I if you're wealthy, if you're wealthy, then you don't have to do things for money, right? It's Again, the problem often in positions of leadership is you need people with money, right? Because you need people with money because you want to have money yourself. But lamaisa. If a person is wealthy, then they don't have to bow to the pressure of those who have money. Chacham. Makes sense. In other words, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, then at the end of the day, you can't lead. And Anav. Oh no, humility. We'll say and that's the easiest one to understand. Because it's easy for leadership to go to one's head and to lead to a, 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 an excessive sense of self, right? a, an inflated sense of self. Humility is the is the most. And it's interesting that it's last, even though it's probably number one. Humility is necessary in order to maintain a proper personal disposition, even while having such incredible responsibility. Who do we learn this from? So the Kulami Moshe. We learn all of these traits from Moshe. What's the way we see from Moshe? So do We know that Moshe was strong. Oh, well, mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu spread the top canopy over the Mishkan, which means he was very tall and very strong. Moshe parso Ester amos orach al-keresh. Right, so we'll say, of the Mishkan was ten amos tall, which is very tall. Ama, right, so we'll say, amos a foot and a half. So therefore, given that's very tall, yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to go ahead and spread the roof over the Mishkan. Ema the vekatan. I maybe Moshe was tall and lanky. In other words, just because he was tall doesn't mean he was strong. Ella min hadain krah comes from this positive Siv the post luchos v'ashlichei mi al shteyodai Moshe took the luchos. And he threw them out. So, she will say, Moshe Rabbein, when he breaks the first set of tablets, he doesn't drop them, but he, he throws them. So, she will say, Haluchos, Arkon, Shisha, the Luchos were six fucking. right? Six fucking long. V'Rach, ban Shisha, six Tfachim wide. V'Avon, Shosh, and they were three in width. So, she will say, so, they're thick, three Tfachim thickness. So, she will say, the idea is, that's a lot of stone. That's a lot of stone. So, to be able to cast that amount of stone must have min that Moshe Rabbeinu was very strong. That's keyboard. Ashir. We know Moshe Rabbeinu was rich. Here we go. Psalacha. It as we said before, Moshe Rabbeinu gets to keep the sapphire, the sapphire shavings of the Luchos. Chacham. How do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was wise? Ravushmadarmi Tarabaihu. Chamishim Sha'ari Bina Nivrubaon. There are 50 gates of wisdom in the world. The Kulam Notnu Lemoshe. It will say, ultimately again, Ultimately, again, all of them, all of them were given to Moshe so the Gemara goes right except for one right Moshe Aenu is given 49, 49 levels of wisdom so again David HaMelech writes in Tehillim literally he's a bit less than God and apparently the Gemara understands that that pasuk was written about Moshe Rabbeinu because the Baruch obviously has all levels of wisdom Moshe Rabbeinu was given 49 out of the 50 incredible so on apparently Moshe Rabbeinu was humble. Dixiv Posik says Va ish Moshe, Anav Ma'od. Moshe Rabbeinu was exceedingly humble so Rabbi Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi said First of the intermediate wide lines, all of the prophets were rich. How do we know this? So so it's interesting, by the way, I just want to point out, Moshe Rabbeinu serves as this paradigm for Jewish leadership. Moshe Rabbeinu possessed all of these qualities. He was Gibar, he was strong, he was usher. he was wealthy, he was chacham, he was wise, he was anov, he was humble. And these become the core qualities for future Jewish leaders. Incredible. So the Gemara says as follows. Furthermore, Rabbi Yochanan says, all of the prophets were rich. How do we know this? So, what do we see from all of these prophets, So, Moshe dechsev lo chamor echamem nasasi. Moshe says, now this is by the episode of Korah. Later, Moshe is very frustrated. And he says, I didn't even take a donkey from them. Moshe says, I didn't take anything from Cloud Israel. So Moshe "Now, what is this referring to? Igra. So if Moshe B'nai was was I never took a donkey to use without paying a rental fee,' Lafuki demand the shaka below Igra. So I'm going to say, That means he didn't steal anything. That can't be what Moshe B'nai was saying. be Igra. Rather, what Moshe B'nai was saying is, I never even had to rent a donkey from someone else.' So Moshe said, 'The Gemara understands the fact that Moshe B'nai never even had to rent a donkey indicates to us what that he was very wealthy.'" So, maybe not. Maybe it's because he was very poor. He never rented a donkey. Why? Why? He didn't have possessions. So he didn't have to rent the donkey. Rather, we'll say again, once again, how do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was wealthy? That becomes a psalacha. The shavings of the luchos belong to Moshe Rabbeinu. So we'll say, that's how we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was wealthy. Shmuel, Diksiv. So we'll say, how do we know that Shmuel was wealthy? Because hinene anu Hashem, so once I hear Shmuel also in a moment of frustration says Hashem, I write Shmuel Hanov, he says Hashem I never took anything of theirs, right? I never took an ox, I never took a donkey, so, so if Shmuel means that he never took a donkey without paying for it, so is Shmuel saying he never stole anything, that's pretty obvious, Shmuel saying this, I never even hired, I never even rented a donkey from one of them. I, Dilma Daanihava, maybe it's because Shmuel was very poor. Elmihaha, rather said Shmuel was wealthy. Listen to his beautiful Gimara. Utishuva so haramasa, kishambai so. Rabba say, Shmuel Hanavi was not only the Navi, but he was also the shofet, the judge. Shmuel was the first literal circuit judge. What did he do? Shmuel went around the country to adjudicate the cases of the people. It's incredible. I will say he didn't make the people come to him. Shmuel went to the people. Okay. So the lashon of the pasuk is haramasa. When he came back home to Ramad, that's where he lived. Kishama Beso. For that is where his home was. So once a year he would come back home. V'amarava. says Komakum shehalach imo. Wherever Shmuel went, wherever Shmuel went. His home was with him. So what, what the is understanding over here is like this. When Shmuel, when Shmuel traveled, he traveled with his entire home with him. In other words, he wasn't like a vagabond, right? He wasn't like a nomad, but he had all the furnishings of his home wherever he went. Wherever he went. So that shows ultimately again his wealth. Kishan so. See, the way you read the Pasek is he went back to Ramah because that was his home. No, the Gemara says, Shubh HaZar So he went back home to, to Ramah Kishan Beisobo, wherever he was, he traveled with his home. So his furnishings, again, he had a very comfortable life, and therefore all of his furnishings ultimately came with him. I will say, by the way, it's, it's, it's also a good, in this is, is an interesting musar. Kishan Beisobo, tells us that wherever Shmuel went, ultimately, again, his home went with him as well. So it's also just an interesting idea. Sometimes, you know, when we're home, and in our community, we act a certain way. And then what happens when we go away? Whether it's for a vacation or for something else, suddenly again there's a totally another set of standards. Hey, so what happens? The greatness of HaNavi, Kisham Beso. Wherever he went, the standards of his home went with him. Whether he was geographically at home or traveling somewhere else, Lemaison, the standards, the morals, the pillars of his home accompanied him. Every step of his journey in life. An incredible Moser. The Gemara goes right there. The wealth apparently associated with Shmuel is even greater than the wealth associated with Shmuel. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry, the, the wealth said by Shmuel is even greater than that mentioned by Moshe. See? So right by Moshe it says, I never I never went ahead and took right, took a donkey. I never even hired a donkey. See, I'm saying, the interesting part is with Moshe, I mean, the concern might be if Moshe wanted to rent a donkey from someone, even if he didn't want to rent a donkey, you feel compelled to say yes. By Shmuel, there wasn't even a need. Even those who wanted to read the donkey to Shmuel, well, Shmuel didn't need it. They say, By Yomro, Lo Ashak Sanu, V'lo sano. Okay, Amos, where do we see that Amos was wealthy? So we'll say, so Amos says to Amos, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet. What am I? I'm a boker and boleys. What does that mean? are u So we'll say, Amos said, what am I? I'm a cattle herder and I have sycamores in the plain. So the idea here is that Amos had, 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 had cattle, had cattle, so he owned livestock, and he owned real estate, he owned sycamore, so you see over here, that he was wealthy. Yonah, how do we see that Yona was wealthy? is incredible. Yona, when he's running away from Hashem, so to speak, because right, he doesn't want to deliver the prophecy for Ninveh, what does he do? He's in such a rush to get out of town, that he there's a boat leaving the port in Yavo, and he he essentially pays the fare of the entire boat just in order for the boat to leave. how much was the fare? He didn't wait for the other passengers to come. Instead, he totally bought out the boat. Just so you should know what that would cost. That would cost four thousand gold pieces. 4,000 gold diner, which was an exorbitant amount of money. So the idea that Jonah had that amount of money to drop on the boat, indicates that he was exceptionally wealthy. So i just point out something amazing. Why the focus on wealth? Why the focus on wealth? There was like the wealth ministry, like why the focus on wealth? So i I'm sorry? So so first of all, two things. Number one, number one is the idea, I'll say number one is the idea that Judaism does not despise wealth. And this is incredibly important. Judaism is not an ascetic religion. Judaism Judaism extols material success, not material success as an end. It's not an end. That's where it becomes dangerous. It's a means, right? Why does the Jew have money? Seek to effect positive change in the world. That that's the reason. That's the reason. But I must say also to highlight this idea that there is a power when you see these great men having wealth. It's what allowed them to navigate above the fray. Because we will say, we know that when you're dependent on other people for your parnosah, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there are things you want to say, but you can't say. There are things you want to do, but you can't do. Because you run the risk of alienating the people upon whom you are dependent for your livelihood. The reason why these men were able to affect so much dramatic change is because no one held the financial strings over them. So when Moshe Rabbeinu is financially independent, When Korach and his followers show up, Moshe is able to put that down because I don't need you, so to speak. In other words, I'm independent. I'm independent of you. The Navi is able to say what he needs to say when he does not depend on the clown, ultimately, again, for his paycheck. So that's the idea about having financial independence often allows a leader to do the things that really need to get done. Not for the benefit of the leader. For the benefit of the call. That's the irony. That's the irony. When the leader is handstrung because of finances, it's the cloud that suffers. But when the leader has, like Moshe has this level of financial independence, then, then I can really navigate them out for the call. It's incredible. The last piece. They both said, this is incredible. In the beginning, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he learned Torah, he would learn and he would forget. The Bible said, by the way, how affirming is this? Like right? Moshe would do the daf, and he'd be like, what did we just do? What did we, do? What did we just do? Wow. I, I could absolutely relate to that. See, so he would learn Torah, and he wouldn't retain it. He wouldn't retain it. Ad shenit until Hashem gave him the koach of retention. Hashem gave him the koach of retention. Ultimately, but emar, but as a gift, shene emar They're both like, what a Gimara, What a gemara. What a gemara. So I'll say, what do you see from here, right? Moshe Rabbeinu learned and didn't retain. And so the Baruch gave him the gift of retention. So i so two things, two things. What do you see from here? So once again, what, what is our goal when we learn? What is our goal? The goal is not retention. The goal is not retention. I know the goal is not retention. Because what do you see from this Gemara? I don't control retention. How could the controls controls retention. Right? What's my avoda in Torah? My avoda is effort. My say, Obviously, you could make effort to retain. Right? That's chazara. That's review. So I have to put in my effort to retain as well. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, my avoda in Torah ultimately again is the effort. I have to get up early and learn. I have to try to understand. That's my goal. That's my goal. Whether I retain it, I must say that's my khilah. My healing is the effort. My healing is the effort. Retention, that's a gift from Hakodish Hu. Absolutely incredible. Because so often in life we're so frustrated when we can't remember and I say to myself, well what's the point if I can't remember? What's the point? What's the point? The point is the effort to expend each and every day. That's my khilik in Talmud Torah. That I deprive myself of sleep in order to learn Moshalom's Torah. That's my that's my accomplishment. That's what I'm here to do. Hopefully, again, I also put in some effort for attention and recognize that I should dive into Give me the gift of Moshe. You gave Moshe the gift of retention. I'm gonna dive in for that same gift as well. Incredible. to we'll say Mishnah? Mishnah, but back to the dharam. ishtov So we'll say, listen to this. So what happens? We'll say, we're, we're still in the same exact case, by the way. Ruvain made the nether that Shimon can't get any benefit from him. So now the Mishnah says even though Ruvain made that nether, by the way, so we're coming right back to Agaritan in just a moment, don't worry. But we'll says, so even though Ruvain made the nether that Shimon can't get any benefit from him, so Ruvain can't support Shimon, but who can Ruvain support? Ruvain can support Shimon's wife and children. But we'll say, once again, let's in line with what we're going to report, because what's the definition of halah? What's what is the definition of Something new in your pocket. Over here, he's, Ruben is saving Shimon from an expense. That's not called Hano. Even though, again, Shimon is in the mizonos of his wife and kids. However, what, what can't Ruben do? Ruben can't feed the behema of Shimon whether it's a kosher animal or a non-kosher animal Rabbel Yesro Omer Zonah Satmev and Zonah Sat Toholah So what was the arrangement Rabbel Yes says Ruvain could go ahead and feed shimmins non-kosher animal but can't feed Shimon's kosher animal. Why the distinction? Amruloh ma bein Torah. Why is there a kosher and non-kosher animal? Very simple. Amruloh shetora nafsho l'shmei l'shamein v'gufo shalo. Because a kosher animal, its nafsh belongs to Hashem, but its body belongs to the owner. Meaning what Rabbah say? If Reuven feeds the animal, the kosher animal of Shimon, Reuven is providing benefit to Shimon. How? Because if he feeds the kosher animal, what happens? The animal gets fatter. If the animal gets fatter than what, when Shimon shechts it, he's benefiting from more or richer meat. So in that case, he is providing hanah. Whereas the non-kosher animal is not fit for consumption. Therefore, again, when Ruven feeds that animal, he's not he's not providing material benefits for Shimon. Utemeya, temeya, right? The non-kosher animal, on the other hand, temeya nachsha v'gufal shamayim. right? Everything belongs, so to speak, to Hashem. Meaning there is no benefit that Shimon really gets from the act of Ruben feeding his animal, Amulo. Um, so they say back to well, others, that's not true. it's not true. Shimon can still benefit from the body of a non-kosher animal, it's true. He can consume it, but harihu O remember again, Shemin can still benefit from the meat of his non-kosher animal, right? He can't eat it, but what can he do? He can sell it to a Gentile, or he can feed it to his dogs. Therefore, I will say, they argue back on Rabbi Eliezer, and they said to Rabbi, sorry, Rabbi Eliezer, there's no distinction between a kosher and non-kosher animal. Ruvain cannot feed the animal of Shimon, because either way, Shimon will materially benefit. If it's a kosher animal, Shimon will benefit from the meat. And if it's a non-kosher animal, Shimon still benefits from the meat. At the end, they either be through selling it to a Gentile or giving it to his dogs. Good. Says the Gemara, Interesting case. If I make a nether not to get Hano for my friend, or not to give Hanah for my friends, so It's the same case. Reuven says to can't get any benefit from me. I can marry off my daughter to him, Or he can marry off his daughter. So who's, who's marrying off who, you can see in just a moment. So Rabbi Zera wondered about this case. But my asking on, what's the case? If it's a case where the property of the father of the bride is ashram to the chassan, because right now we're assuming that the daughter being married off is a minor. If she's being I at mean, it was it was it was common that if a father was marrying off his his minor daughter, he would also provide a shifchal like a maid servant, domestic help to help out the girl. So that's Hanol Right, there must be a case where the property of the chasan is asr to the father of the kala. So here's the problem. So the Mishnah already said about say that in this kind of case, where Reuven made a nether against Shimon, Ruben is still permitted to go on and support Shimon's wife and daughters. If that's the case, then why would marrying off a daughter be problematic? We'll say just finish up. We're talking about a case where the property of the father of the Kal is Asra and the Chasson. I'm going to stop over here. What are we talking about? We're talking about ultimately, again, a case of where I will say there is a situation of the girl who's getting married is a Bulgarist. When she's a again, it so we'll say, meaning what? She's a gidola, and therefore she gets married of her own volition. I will say, therefore, the Gemara says, in that kind of case, in that kind of case, the marriage is permitted, even if there is an Esser Hanah. So we'll say, again, I apologize, we went quickly through that case, but we're, we're right on target. We're going to pick up with that case, Emirates HaShem, tomorrow. Tomorrow's daf is a little bit shorter. And will say, crazy good, Agaraton, tomorrow's Gemara as well. So we'll get the resolution of this marriage case, Emirates HaShem, transition to new Suyus. What a week. What a week. I was saying, Shikaya. All right, Chevron Zoom. Have a great day, everyone. Jerry, oh, what a view. What a view. Oh, incredible. The sun is shining in Eretz Yisrael. All right. All right, have a great day. Good Shabbos, everyone. Hey Rusty, good morning my friend. I was up so early.